Well, hey there, Cove Church. It is so great to be with you today as we continue our series called Balance, a series all about resources, finances, money, that sort of thing. And we start today with a question that God poses to us, and it's this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's a question God has asked from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, asking Adam and Eve to take his word over every other, to, to trust him for his best. And it's a question that God has been asking of humanity ever since. Do you trust me? That's what we're going to talk about today. But I would start with this particular story out of Acts chapter 20. Paul, the apostle, is saying this tearful goodbye to the people he loves. Uh, these are his last words to them. They will be his last words to them. He won't see them again. And as we know, last words are typically important words. They're not fluff words when it's the last things you're going to say. It's usually not stuff like, hey, can you point me to a good sushi place nearby? It's not, wow, does this tunic make me look fat? It's not those kinds of questions. These are significant words. These are important words. These are vital words. Because what we're saying is of the things I want you to remember of my life, would you remember this? And in saying those last words, Paul speaks a quote from Jesus that very well could have been a common phrase they heard Christ use over and over again, and it was this, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's familiar to many of us. It's actually kind of built into some of the threads of our culture. We've heard it before, we've said it before, we've wondered if it was actually true. And it's interesting to me that of all that Paul could have left them with, he includes that truth, that foundation, because it was important. Which means then, that if we understand that God's kingdom is a place of God's rule, God's presence, God's blessing, then that kingdom math brings us to sum, to sum up that the blessed life is the giving life. This means our fullest life will include a pattern of giving. Giving of our time, giving of our talent, giving of our treasure. It's how we experience God's best. Now that being the case, it makes sense that Jesus came to preach about God's kingdom and God's kingdom being close and in doing so that he would in turn talk a lot about giving and resource. And he did. As Pastor Brandon mentioned last week, Jesus talked about giving all the time. 16 out of 38 parables, nearly half, were about money and possessions. The Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal with money in the Gospels. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. God talks about money all the time. Why? Because we think about money all the time. How many of you have thought about money today? <laughs> Already. So God talks about money. Why? Because God loves us. And God cares about what we care about and what wants to consume us. And so God is very much interested in dealing with what could keep us from his best. So God talks about all the potential obstacles, all the potential stumbling blocks around money. 
Now, in doing so, let me make one thing clear. I know when talking about the subject of giving and money, that subject has in some settings been communicated with a really heaping side dish of guilt. That is not to be a part of this conversation. Because we must understand that giving out of guilt, it actually robs that gift of all of its kingdom virtue. God calls us to cheerful giving, we're told, and guilt giving is not cheerful, is it? It's like when your parents would make you apologize to your sibling when you were a kid, you know, okay, apologize to your brother. Remember how, how heartfelt those apologies were? Yeah, I'm sorry. And inside, like, I'm sorry I didn't end you when I had a chance. That was the nature of those apologies. Not really cheerful, not really heartfelt. This is always a heart issue. And working out of guilt is a wrong heart. So let me just pop that balloon. That's not what we're doing today. The truth is, as we talk about this life in balance, we need to talk about money and giving because Jesus actually wants to help us with it. Jesus wants to include this as part of his love for us. So the most loving thing we can do is to talk about these things and so, with that, I'd like us to look at a passage where Jesus talks about money and giving, revealing some of the truths around this very important subject. And here's the first thing I would point out, is that giving establishes what I value. Giving establishes what I value. Matthew 6 is where we're going to be, starting verse 19. Let's read it together. Big voices go. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why is giving important? It's because it shows me what actually matters to me. As we talked last week, if you want to know what your values are, then look at your bank statement, look at your calendar, look at your debit card report. It tells us what really matters. So some of us will look at that and we'll go, oh, it looks like Starbucks really matters to me. And some of us will look at that and go, wow, it looks like shoes really matters to me. Some of us will look at that and go, wow, I think In-N-Out Burgers really matters to me. I should buy stock there. That's the, that's the amazing thing about what happens when we do this. It shows us where we put our treasure, where we put our money. It, it, it reveals our heart. It is really an X marks the spot kind of equation. And Jesus is saying here, if you're wise in your money, that there will be a kingdom value right there in your heart. That you're actually storing up treasure in heaven. Why? Because that is the only treasure that lasts. If you think about this purely from an investment standpoint, okay? Uh, let's say you have an investment broker there. I don't know, I want to call him Larry. If your name is Larry, it's not a slight on you. I just want to call my investment broker Larry. Really nice person, has a lot of patents, probably a pocket protector. Uh, he's got a, a really high-powered computer, good laptop, short sleeve, button-up shirt with a tie, um, and he's going to sell you a portfolio. And I'm going to trust Larry to do that. And Larry's going to say, okay, here's option one. Uh, if you invest in this portfolio, just the guarantee is you will eventually lose it all. 
That's portfolio number one. But then there's portfolio number two. If you invest into this portfolio, the guarantee is that it will be there forever. Now I'm no finance genius, but I think in that scenario, option two sounds pretty good. It's gonna be there forever, that sounds good. And yet we sit there in life and we go, I don't know. If you say option one, you lose it all eventually, hmm, that's, that doesn't sound too bad. Maybe I should go with that one. Now that's crazy, right? Yet it's exactly what Jesus is pointing to here. Don't invest in, into what rots away. Don't invest into what gets stolen. We understand this. We live in Eugene here at Cove Church, Eugene, Oregon. We live in a town where stuff gets stolen all the time. If it's not anchored down, it gets stolen all the time. I, I, we, we lived in a place and we would put our shoes in this basket out in front of our door there before we walked into the house. And I remember we went on a little trip and we came back and someone had stolen all of our shoes. Your shoes, is there like a black market for shoes? Is there somebody out there like trading stuff for flip-flops? I mean, who, who steals shoes? But this is the kind of town we live in. We're used to this idea that, man, it, it's going to get stolen. It's going to go away. We understand this. This is saying, don't invest in that stuff. Don't invest in what is guaranteed to perish, guaranteed to go away. Invest in what is guaranteed to remain. Now, it seems obvious. And yet in this world, we are tempted to, to build these amazing sandcastle lives. All the while knowing that those sandcastles will eventually be washed away, yet still we chase it, don't we? Because it's all we see around us, so we must need the same thing. Uh, I just, just read that Elon Musk is now the richest person on the planet. $194.8 billion is what he's worth. 100, almost $195 billion with a B is what he's worth. He just passed Jeff Bezos, okay? He is now worth more than many small countries as an individual. Imagine that, okay? Now he and Jeff Bezos have been duking it out as to who's the richest in the world for a while, but you know what they're doing, what they're really doing? They're building really, really big sandcastles, really nice sandcastles with lovely sandcastle grounds and lovely sandcastle pools and lovely sandcastle theater rooms and beautiful sandcastle solariums. And yet it's still a sandcastle because we know none of it will last. And Jesus is asking us, which kingdom then really matters most to you? I mean, be honest. Is, is your kingdom really built on sand and sand castles, or is it built on the rock of who God is? He's saying you have before you this world's kingdom, which we know will never last, guaranteed. And you have God's kingdom, which we know lasts forever. So which do we choose? Never or forever? Now let's say we want to choose God's forever kingdom. The question then is how do I know that I'm actually living in God's kingdom? The answer we'll know by where our treasure is. 
here's one way of looking at it. I went to England uh, as part of my master's program, and Paula made fun of me when I was there because she'd asked me to take lots and lots of pictures, and she had started to see other people in our group posting pictures on Instagram of kind of the typical stuff you'd see in London, you know, double-decker buses and, and, you know, British flags and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I thought that was typical. I didn't want to do that. And so the first picture I sent her was this. It's a picture of the currency <laughs> of London. Now, it made perfect sense to me. It was proving to her that I was in the country of England, okay? I could prove it because the first thing I did when I got off of the plane was to go to that currency exchange machine and exchange my money for the money of England. Now, she thought it was a lame picture. Of all the things I could show her, she thought it was lame. But I did so because I knew there was, if there was one thing that was completely unique to the United Kingdom, it was its currency. And I knew there were some things that I could only experience if I had that British money with me. I like taxis, for instance. You could only get around with that money. You could only get around that United Kingdom with that currency. It was proof of where I was. It was also what I needed to move around in that kingdom. And I also found it fascinating that the currency carried the image of the leader of that kingdom. Could it be, just as an aside, that the way we use money and finances could remind people of what God looks like? This is what happens when we exchange the currency of this world for the currency of God's kingdom. See, that's why I thought it was a great first picture. How do we know we're living in God's kingdom in part because we choose to exchange the currency of this world for the currency of God's world? And that's what we do when we give. Knowing that in doing so, we can actually begin to move around now in God's kingdom. We can actually experience God's kingdom. That's what opens the door. And we invest then into that which lasts forever. So if you want to know what kingdom you're in, then answer the old classic Capital One question, what's in your wallet? What currency are you using? If all you have is really set aside for this world's kingdom, that's one thing. But if you see in your life your currency of this world being exchanged for the currency of God's kingdom, if you're finding yourself giving to that place, that's the evidence that we're living in that kingdom. Because where our treasure is, that's where our heart is. Tim Keller says it this way, the place where our heart rests is revealed by money. Giving establishes what I value. And so if I value God's forever kingdom more than this temporary world, my giving will show that. Giving establishes what I value. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Giving establishes how I see. Matthew 6, the passage goes on. Let's read it together. Big voices, right where you are, go. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So what's this talking about? 
You say, I thought we were talking about money and now we're in the optometrist's office. What, what changed here? What moved? What, what's with the big turn? We're actually still talking about money. It hasn't changed, but let me explain, okay? Here's what, what this is getting at. You can be in a room full of light, okay? Imagine yourself in a room full of light, filled with spotlights and flood lamps and lightning bugs and all enveloping lights, so bright. You could be in that room, okay? Imagine yourself in that room. But if your eyes are blind, you won't see it. You can be in a room filled with light, but if your eyes are blind, you will not perceive it. It doesn't matter what the reality is, I won't experience it if my perception is wrong. Jesus is warning us here that when it comes to money, the grid through which I view the world is often wrong, that my eyes aren't accurate. And because I see wrong, Everything after that becomes wrong. We used to play this game uh, when we were in youth ministry. is called Dizzy Bat Baseball. And you would have a ball on a tee and you would have a bat and you would put your head down onto that bat and you would spin around the bat a bunch of times, I don't know, 18 times, 20 times, basically until you wanted to throw up. That's what you would do. And then you would have to try to attempt to hit the ball off the tee and attempt to run to the base. Now, before you were dizzy, those weren't really difficult things to do. But after you were dizzy, it was super difficult and very funny, and we laughed at each other and mocked each other, and that was the greatness of the game. And usually nobody got permanently hurt forever. But see, the nature of that game was this. The, the process of hitting a ball off the tee or running to a base, that, that had not changed, and yet I had changed. I became wrong as a result of flawed senses. What this passage is saying is that greed and selfishness and short-sighted thinking, it flaws our senses, it blinds us. Just take greed, for instance. We never think of ourselves as greedy, do we? Because there's always somebody with more. There's always somebody more greedy. There's always someone living a more extravagant life. There's always a neighbor with a bigger TV. There's always a relative with a nicer car. There's always a coworker with a bigger house. They're the greedy ones, not me. We don't think that greed could possibly apply to us. And this is the deception. That's why Jesus warned us about this very thing. Because it's a sin that we can all be in without thinking we're in it. It's kind of unique when it comes to sin in that way. The other sins, we, we know we're in them, right? I mean, like when you're committing adultery, you, you're not surprised by that. No one's committing adultery and so, suddenly they're like, oh, hey, you're not my wife, what's going on? No, that never happens to anyone. No, we know we're in it when that's happening. But greed isn't like that. Greed hides. Greed hides behind, well, I, I know I give more than they do. And, and or greed hides behind, I give in other ways too. Or greed hides behind, well, can you believe they, they bought that? How dare they? It hides. Greed always points fingers at others because it does not want those fingers to point back at itself. We don't want to ask the hard questions of ourselves. And it makes us blind. No one feels rich because there's always somebody richer. 
And Jesus is saying, I want to help you see what you don't see. There's a great website. It's called howrichamai.givingwhatwecan.org. We'll put it on the screen. Uh, In that website, you can enter your income, and it will show your rank in terms of global wealth. And it will shock you, because in America, we are very wealthy. It will show you how you rank in terms of the whole world. And this is so, so important because we have to see differently. We have to see past the rules of this world and start living by the rules of God's world and move past the ways we're deceived by greed. And there's this tension in that. And C.S. Lewis described it this way. He said, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. See, this is when giving starts to matter to us, when it counts, when we really could use it for something else, Uh, like the story of Jesus watching that widow come and give a, a tiny bit into the offering while others came and gave so much more. Jesus said her gift matters most to the kingdom because she gave all she had. It's not about what your gift means to others. It's about what your gift means to you. What it costs you. And the problem is sometimes our gifts, they just don't cost us that much. We, we give to God kind of what we can spare, kind of what's left over. We kind of give God a tip. Here you go. You're being a pretty good God. You've done a good service today. Here's a tip. And it doesn't require any faith. And therefore, it doesn't make room for any miracles. We don't need God in those kinds of gifts. So what's the answer? What's the cure for this self-power giving? Here's the answer. It's radical generosity. That's the antidote. It's a different kind of giving. Because it's in that place that my giving moves from what I can give to what God can give through me. It's miraculous. And it's there that I truly start to see God's kingdom come, that he shows up in these places, the places where, God, if you don't move here, we don't make it. That's where God wants to meet us. And it's in that kind of giving that God establishes how I see. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Giving establishes who I trust. Who I trust. Matthew 6, 24, we wrap up the passage. Big voices go, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, who am I going to serve? Now, I can tell you now, after some 30 plus years of following Jesus, that there is no comparison to serving God and serving money. God gives, money takes. God inspires, money depresses. God equips, money uses. God is fullness, money is empty. Now we're all going to serve something, but money is a really bad boss. Yet we still choose to serve it, don't we? And not only is money a very difficult taskmaster, it's also so limited in its ability to take care of us. And yet we try to trust it to do that. 
But ultimately, what God is asking of us is, would you trust me to take care of you? A few years ago, I put an ad on Craigslist to sell a drum set. And uh, a guy came over to look at it. And I was looking at the drum set. I talked to him for all of about 15 minutes. And in that 15 minutes, we talked about where he was playing. And it turns out he knew some of the same people I knew in town and played with different musicians that I knew. He went to a church that I knew a lot of the folks at. And so there was all this connection, a great connection. He was a great guy. I just enjoyed the time with him and uh, thought it'd be cool that, that you would have this drum set. You now he left and, uh, and he started texting me. We came to a price, agreed to a price. And so a couple days later, he came to pick up the drum set. When he came, he just handed me a wad of cash. And I didn't count it, I just put it in my pocket. And then I helped him load up the drum set and got him all squared away and he drove off. And it was then that I took out the money and I counted it and all of that money was there. Now I knew that I didn't have to count it when he was there with me. I knew that because of that 15 minute time I had spent with him. In that 15 minutes, I knew this was a trustworthy person, that he wasn't gonna cheat me, it was gonna be okay, and so I didn't have to count it at that moment. Now, why is that story important? After 15 minutes of interaction with that person, I was able to trust him. But here's the thing. Some of us have followed Jesus for years. And Jesus has proved himself to you time and time again. And yet for many of us, we still don't trust him to do what he says he will do regarding money. As God says in the book of Malachi, test me in this. Watch the windows of heaven open. This is how the kingdom is supposed to work. This is what God invites us to. He wants us to believe him and trust him in every part of our life. Yes, to trust him with our time, absolutely. Yes, trust God with our talents, absolutely. But also to trust God with our treasure. Why? Because God wants to redeem all things, including those things. So God invites us to this. And here's the great thing about God. When God invites us to something, God provides for that something. It's like when I ask my kids if they want to go to lunch. They know that if dad's inviting them, dad's paying, okay? And so they will often say yes to lunch because they know that I'm the one getting the bill because that's what dads do. Now one day they will get their turn and they'll be parents and they'll get to pay for their kids' lunch and I will laugh on that day. That's gonna be a really great day. But right now, this is how it works. And that's how it works with God. What God invites us to, God equips us for. So all of this, it comes right back to how we view Father God. Do we trust him or not? That's what this is really all about, friends. Money is just a symptom. The real issue is trust. So let me wrap up, where, where do we begin? 2 Corinthians, it has this interesting passage. Paul is telling these folks in Corinth about the example of this church in Macedonia. And he says in 2 Corinthians 8, 3, it says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means 
of their own accord. Get this, they started out giving what they could, they ended up giving what they couldn't. Often when it comes to giving, we say, I would if I could, but faith says, I could if I would. Where do we begin then with giving? We begin with first steps of genuine faith, trusting the God who gives every good gift to us. This really isn't just about how I see money. It's about how I see God. It's about how you see God. And if we would see God for who God is, the one who only wants for us life and, and love and peace and joy and goodness, then trusting God for money will, will not even phase us because we have no doubt that the God who never failed us in the past will never fail us in the future. So I can then trust God to guide me into his best as I trust God with my best. Let's pray together.